After being in the personal development field for a decade, and I've been able to facilitate thousands of clients and students, alhamdulillah, I've noticed there's so much more self-development content online, whether it's about toxic traits, setting boundaries, or cultivating better mental health. We now have access to far more information than ever. But I've also noticed that there's something missing. Maybe you've tried to apply some of the advice that you took online and you found it just didn't work for you. Why is that? Is it because your problems are just too big that the situations you're dealing with are just too tricky? Or is it that this personal development stuff just doesn't work? I hear from people all the time, hey, I try this, but boundaries don't work. Dealing with these people in this way doesn't work. Or is it because much of that information that you're taking online doesn't take into account your cultural background or your religious principles, your faith-based principles. It can be really hard to sift out how much of this content online applies to you and whether or not it can actually work for you in your situation with your relationships, with your beliefs and your values. It's also because much of this information that you see online doesn't really go to the root cause of what needs to shift in order for you to create better relationships, experience better mental health, have a stronger spiritual connection and find your purpose. It's also because some of these situations that you're grappling with don't always have a copy and paste solution. They need to work for you, your values, your relationship objectives, your spiritual connection. So using my years of experience in facilitating clients and students, I decided to create a program that does all of that, that takes all of this into account. It takes into account our cultural nuances, our faith-based principles, so that you can create relationships that are good for your dunya and your akhirah. This program will teach you how to overcome toxic patterns and create relationships that are healthy and fulfilling without needing the other person to change and without necessarily needing to cut ties. This, this is the Relationship Revolution program, which only opens once a year for enrollment. And this is now open for enrollment from the 24th of February onwards until the 3rd of March. By combining neuroscience, psychology principles, and spirituality, my Relationship Revolution program gives you both deep understanding into yourself and others, healing tools to shift your energy, as well as practical tools that will actually help you create change in yourself and your life. If you think this might just be a fit for you, head on over to my Instagram and click the link in my bio. All the details are there. And I've also left the link to more information in the show notes below, or you can drop us an email on admin at liveinspire.co.za to find out if Relationship Revolution is a fit for you. Remember, enrollment closes 3rd of March, no exceptions. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast. My name is Zahida Mohammadi, and I am an emotional mastery and business mentor, boundaries expert, mum to two very special souls, and the founder of the Live Inspired Academy. If you are looking to upgrade your relationships, your business, and your life, and yourself, then this is the place for you. Nothing fires me up more than helping people overcome their limits, discover their gifts, 
reconnect to their authenticity, their natural fitra, the unique way that they connect to others and their creator so that they can bring those gifts into the world and live with purpose and passion. And that is what this podcast is all about. Think of this podcast as your weekly dose of inspiration to help you connect to all the possibility and potential that exists within you. Here, you'll find all the tools, resources, strategies, and teachings that you need on your self-development journey. Thank you for choosing to be here. Let's get inspired. Welcome to a super special episode of the podcast, of the Live Inspired with Zahida podcast today. And today I have a guest with me, a very special guest, Shaista Murad, also known as South African Muslima. You will know her from my Quran journaling podcast that I did with her as well. She is with us today to speak on her experience of grief and losing a child. So Shaista very recently, in fact, lost her son, Uh, Umar to uh, cancer and it has been a very long journey for her. She's spoken about it somewhat on social media but today she's joining us because this topic of grief and how to actually support someone who is grieving and specifically how to deal with the loss of a child which is such a tragic uh, such a tragic thing to deal with. So Shaisa will be sharing more with us on her experience and we'll be talking about this topic and how you can, inshallah, um, look at this topic in various ways and hopefully also be a source of support and comfort to those who are in this position as well. So Shaisa, assalamu alaikum. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Wa alaikum salam. Jazakallah for having me, Zaida. Shaista, I think a lot of people who are listening to this have been following your journey closely online on social media, but there might be a few people who are listening to this episode today and this is the first time they're coming across me, this is the first time they're hearing from you. Do you want to just give us a little bit of explanation, a little bit of insight into your experience with your son Umar? Um, Okay, so I have two kids, alhamdulillah, and Umar was my youngest. He passed away about six weeks ago uh, after, at, at the age of nine after a four-year battle with cancer. Um, alhamdulillah, he passed away peacefully between my husband and I in our bed. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Umar was just this really, really amazing, special child. I actually had him after two miscarriages and I always told him and like numerous battles with infertility. And I always told him that he was the best present I ever got. Mm. And Alhamdulillah, he was in his life and he continues to be in his death, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, may he continue to be a light in ways that you cannot even imagine and he didn't even anticipate. So um, Shaisa, it's interesting because I actually put, um, before we, yesterday, when I knew that we were recording this podcast today, I put a Q&A on my Instagram, on my social media to ask people, what, what has been your experience of grief? What are the things that you wish, you know, people hadn't told you? What were the things that actually, you know, someone, someone commented and said, you know, no one can ever say anything that will make things better. And I said to her, you know, you're absolutely right. Nothing anyone says to you when you're grieving, when you've lost a child or you've lost a loved one, nothing that anyone says to you is going to take your pain away. No one can actually take your pain away in that moment. However, there are things sometimes that people say in a well-meaning attempt 
at consoling people, but actually turn out to be more painful for you. So you as the grieving person are already dealing with the overwhelming loss of a loved one. And now someone says something to you in that moment that just kind of adds salt to your wound that is very, very painful to deal with. So we're going to be exploring some of this because I've got a lot of feedback, questions from people about dealing with the loss of a child how, you know, I asked on, online as well, how would you like someone to support you if you are grieving, what to say, what not to say. There were a few people who messaged and said, you know, I don't know what to say. I'm at a complete loss when I go to funerals. I don't want to sound insensitive, but at the same time, I have no idea what to say. Um, and a couple of other questions. I'm just going to go through some of the questions quickly, and then we can go through each of them. But to give all the listeners an idea of what we're going to be discussing today, there's also, there also seems to be, um, a misunderstanding about what sabr means. A lot of people were told, don't cry, be strong, you know, as though those two things are mutually exclusive. So we're really going to get into that as well, inshallah. People wanted to know how do they support people? How are they there for them? They know they can't take the pain away, but how are you there for a grieving person? And someone also asked, like, why do people who are grieving create space? Why do they create distance? Um, is that quite a common thing? We'll be discussing that as well, inshallah. And then we'll also be addressing something, I think hopefully, you know, if it starts to get a bit longer, I might break this up into two parts, part one and part two. But there's another thing as well, and I think this came across very strongly when I asked on social media, a lot of people said, when you lose a child in the form of a miscarriage or a stillbirth, there's a lot of dismissal in the community to the extent that sometimes your own partner doesn't actually understand your loss. They don't, they don't understand understand your need to grieve so we can talk about this because you mentioned as well that you had two miscarriages before Umar so we can talk about the grief of that so you've experienced both Shaista you've experienced the grief of a miscarriage and you've also experienced the, the grief of losing you know a child who you was in this world all of that um, so we're going to also explore some of that because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about how to actually support someone who's in that position. So Bismillah, we've got quite a, few, quite a bit to get through today, inshallah. Um, so let's start here, Shaista. Was there okay. anything that was said to you, like after Umar passed away, was there anything that was said to you that was particularly painful and actually added to your load? One thing that stands out for me is a few minutes after Umar's body was taken away to go for Gusal, I walked down the stairs to my house to meet people who were in the lounge and I wasn't saying anything. I just had these big fat tears like streaming down my face, but that's all I was doing. I was actually a bit shocked, I think. Mm -hmm. And someone, someone who I know looked at me and said to me, look, your Jannah has already been made. Uh, stop crying because you're ruining your reward. Wow. And that just really, really broke me. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm thinking to myself, I'm I'm trying my hardest to keep it together. I'm so, I, Alhamdulillah, gave me this ability to be very aware of what I was doing. And I was very mindful of trying to exercise um, sabr. I don't know if you saw the mayor notice that we sent out, my husband and I, but in it, we even quoted um, what Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said when he lost his child, and which actually epitomizes sabr, which is to say that the eyes shed tears and the heart is broken and grieving but we don't say anything that displeases Allah right so all I was doing was having these tears streaming down my face and then someone tells me I'm ruining my jannah by it and that was really really hurtful wow I that's just I can't even imagine I can't even imagine because you are 
you know, you're processing your own grief. If someone is not in a grieving space and they have a better healthy understanding of what sabr is, when you're not processing all of those emotions, then you can respond quite logically to someone and you can say, actually, that's completely false. <laughs> um, crying yeah. does not mean that your reward is diminished in any way whatsoever. Um, exactly. From an Islamic perspective, I, I'm not sure where people get this misunderstanding from that if you are crying, you are not exercising sabr. If you are crying, you are losing a reward. It is totally and completely false. And you can go verify this with a scholar. It's completely, completely false. So if you're not giving, but when you are in that grieving situation, you do not have the emotional capacity to now actually respond to something like that. And it can be, even though you know that what they're saying is completely false and untrue, it's still extremely, extremely hurtful. So I just want to, I'm, I'm glad you shared that because just validating, I got so many responses from people saying, people told them don't, uh, don't cry and, you know, make suburb and all of these things. Can you tell me, why do you think so many people have a misunderstanding of what sabr is and they think that crying is not okay? And, and I've heard it various, can I tell you, I just grit my teeth, Shaista, when I'm at a funeral and someone tells, well, this was a few years ago, now I might actually say something, you know, <laughs> but, but can you, you know, I've heard so many times someone will be crying, a close family member will be crying and someone will tell them, don't cry, ma. you must be strong for your mother, you must be strong for your father, you must be strong for your siblings, you must be strong for your children. And I just oh want to shake them and say, how is her, him or her crying yeah. that they're not strong? Because even the greatest prophets cried and grieved. Yaqub <laughs> cried and grieved to the extent that he lost his eyesight. So can you tell me why you think people have such a, because I'm, I'm sure throughout this process, because you had a whole lead up to it, you know, Umar's right. passing was expected. And so right. you had an entire lead up to it where you would have had exposure to people's misunderstandings about Sabar and then even post, post his passing. Can you tell right. me more about this? Firstly, can I just go back to those words, make Sabar, because I heard it so many times and I can't tell you how it bothered me. I mean, like I said, it's pretentious. It almost comes across as pretentious. It comes across, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm oh, going to get on my soapbox and say this, Shaista, because it really grinds me. It's pretentious because you're saying to someone, make sabr while they're crying and they're grieving. First of all, that person knows fully well, right? right. That's like that's like telling someone, make wudu before you make salah today. And they're like, what? <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. <laughs> Say Bismillah before you eat. Like you're telling a grown person to do these things. You are in no position to be saying this to them. Maybe it's coming from a good place. Maybe you're, maybe you're coming right. from a place of you're thinking you're helping. But can we unequivocally say that it doesn't help? And at the same time, no one is in a position to judge what your sabr levels are and what your reward is or isn't from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah alone sees your heart and he alone knows what is going on within you. It's for no one else to say. Sorry, I'm, I just have to say. <laughs> no, it's okay. I completely agree with everything you say. Look, it would be completely different. I mean, if you give people the benefit of the doubt, if you were wailing and tearing your clothes, which is what happened when um, Nabi Sassam saw a woman who was doing that at the loss of her child, right? And he actually did say to her, then make sabr. But if you're not doing any of those things, if all you have are big fat hot tears, you're not doing anything that contradicts sabr. And look, um, my husband said to me when I was discussing this with him, he said, but a lot of people don't know what to say, right? Mm -hmm. So give them that benefit of the doubt. But then so that's I what today is. Today is to make sure they know what to say as well. <laughs> but 
to sum it up, if you don't know what to say, give the person a hug and make a dua for them. That's it. Mm, if I yeah. could say, if those, if, if all you do are those two things, it's enough. It's so much better than saying something that hurts them so deeply. Mm. And <laughs> yeah, I 100% agree with you. And a lot of people responded, like I asked on Instagram, what would you have liked to hear? What would, what, you know, what, what would you have liked to hear? And a lot of people said, you know, sometimes just say nothing. Say right. nothing. You don't even have to say anything. You can stay silent. Your presence shows your support. You being there shows your support. A squeeze of the hand, a squeeze on the shoulder, a hug, shedding tears with them. Like you said, or say nothing or say a dua, say a dua for the deceased person. Ya Allah, you know, may Allah grant this person Jannah. Or if you know it's a okay. child, then you can say, may Allah grant you Jannah. May Allah re reunite you with your child in Jannah. Um, and a lot of people also said that what would actually help is acts of service. Can you tell us yes. about that? Yes, that's what I wanted to say. When you're grieving and you're going through this, your head isn't in a logical space, if that makes sense. So you, I know I did not have the ability to think that I needed bread or milk or, or, or like deal with the logistics of a funeral and the days after, right? But practical help, like people who didn't wait for me to ask, because you're not going to ask when you're grieving. You don't have the energy to because ask. Because in order to you ask, to. you actually have to think that this is what I need and you don't have exactly. the energy to do that. Exactly. So people who just did mean all the world to me, you know, people who would just literally rock up with food or take over running the kitchen or setting the tables or whatever it is those things meant the most to us. And um, also those people that like keep checking up on you, even when you don't reply, those people are, are gold because often you don't have the energy to reply to messages, but it's the people that don't ask too many questions. It's the ones that just say, I'm here for you, or they send you something, a comforting message or a picture, right? But they keep checking up on you. Even if you've kind of, like you said, which we touch on later, is pulled away, they, they just want to know, want you to know that they're there for you. And um, I really, really, really appreciate those people. And another thing which I found that the best visits we got were those from Ulama, because I noticed with them, they'd have a reason for leaving really, really quickly afterwards. I would come and say, look, I have to leave in 20 minutes for Isha, right? So they have a very short period of time to see you. But in that time, they give you so much consolation and uh, yeah, so much uh, like strength from, from words of the Quran and Hadith, right? And then they leave. So they, you're not compelled to offer them anything to eat or drink or to like, it doesn't, it, they just stay for you for that little bit to give you that strength and then they leave. And those visits meant the most to us. Mm, mm, that's so interesting. You know, um, you said a couple of very important things there. The one that you said is people who just do without asking, they just rock up for a meal, with the, with the meal, not for a meal. They rock up yeah, for with the meal. <laughs> or, and, and they leave the meal and then they leave. They don't like hang around. Exactly. Like um, exactly. And then so they're not making it a social, which is also another big mistake I see people making. Oh, and yes. People who just message you. And even if you don't respond, they keep checking up on you. Now, a lot of people will take that. And this is one of the questions we had. A lot of people will take that as, well, this person doesn't want to be contacted. This person doesn't want to, you know, they're pulling away from me. Someone asked, why does a grieving person pull away? So they're pulling away from me and uh, maybe they don't want me around. If they're not replying to my messages, then maybe they don't want me to message. Can you share more with us on that? Because I think for someone who hasn't experienced that level of grief, and they do want to support you. 
it might be confusing for them. So can you offer any, any insight that going forward, should they be in that position what to how to see it? Look, I think you just have to remember that a grieving mother does not know what she wants. Honestly, it can change mm -hmm. in the next five minutes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I want to talk. Sometimes I just want silence. Mm -hmm. You've got it. You know, you may, as a grieving mom, look functional and okay in that you're talking, you're cooking, you're completing tasks, but you're living with a broken heart. It's like part of me is like somewhere else and it's never, ever coming back. And so I think I really don't know what I want, right? But I think the key is to take your cue from the person who's grieving. So mm -hmm. if they want to talk today, you'll sense it, right? And you'll talk to them. And if they don't want to, then just sit there, give them their space or check up again in another day or two because it may change completely. I, I told coming you across very, yeah, I think what's coming across very strongly, Shaista, is when you are supporting a grieving person, it's not about right. you. It's never yes. about you. It's about them. Yes. And don't so, take things personally. I, I feel personally yeah. about this because I've noticed people have now projecting their, their grief. Like, I don't know how to explain to you, but everything, the way I act towards them, they feel like, yeah, they're getting upset about it, but it's not about them if it makes sense. Right? Yes. And it's that's why someone pull away as well because they're like, you know what? You're not yes. giving me space. You're not giving me space. Yes. You're projecting all of the stuff on me. And you mentioned that. Yes. I guess that's an important one. Um, someone yes. will say, oh, well, I lost so-and-so 10 years ago, 15 yes. And maybe they think they're creating relatability, but in that moment, you don't have the capacity. It actually becomes them emotionally dumping on you. So they think that they're talking yes. about the experience and you're sharing, but you're like, I am too raw in this. This is too new for me still. There's still too much here. I don't have the space to even listen to what you are saying. And I don't even want to be around this. That's so true. Like then, like I've had visits like that, shame, and I know the people mean well, but then I come out of it and I'm like, these people should just not have visited in the first place. Yeah. I would have been better off sitting here quietly in my space and I would have felt better mentally. And that's exactly when people dump their stuff onto you when your grief is so, so raw and so fresh. Uh, yeah, then you feel like you're better off alone. Mm. <laughs> yeah, very important points there. I think everyone needs to remember, don't personalize it. It's not about you. It's about the grieving person. If you just be there, you just offer. Some days they're going to take it. Some days they're going to ignore you. It's not personal. They're going through their own grieving process. And on that note, someone mentioned here that people need to understand that this is a very difficult test and they shouldn't rush your grieving process. I saw a few people as well saying things like, your three days are up now, stop crying. Um, these are yeah. the things people have been told. Okay. So, they, they, so okay. people are being policed on how they grieve and how long they yeah. grieve. Do you want to speak a little bit about that? Well, there's a quote that I've come across that I think summarizes everything. And it says, child loss is not an event. It's an indescribable journey of survival. Mm, oh my goodness. Oh my God. And I think you know, that sums up everything. I think I think I want to share I want to share something here because uh, interestingly mm -hmm. enough, last night we ended up um, visiting some family from out of town, some of my right. husband's family, and uh, I remembered at some point in the conversation I was mentioning that we're going to do this podcast recording, and then through the conversation I remembered that this particular you know elderly couple actually yes. lost a child of theirs tragically. It was a sudden accident, so it wasn't something that happened before. 32 years ago. Sure. Okay. 32 years ago. And <sighs> when I looked at their faces, I saw two people. Mm. You can tell. You can tell that 
And what you said, that quote speaks to that completely. It's not an event. It happened that someone might say it happened. It's not like they were wailing and crying, but you could tell from their faces, you could tell from their eyes that the loss was still there. The pain it's was one of the most. It's one of the most distressing events a person can ever be subjected to. Like, mm. I think it's one of the, yeah, most difficult tests to bear. And people need to understand that you're never going to be the same again after losing a child. Uh, I don't think that's a bad thing in some ways, but mm. people need to make peace with the new person. Uh, yeah, that the new person, with the new person you've become, because you will never, ever be the same again, even 32 years later, like you say. You know, something yeah. comes to mind here when you're saying that is that when, oh, and I just want to cry when I say this, um, that I think almost when you, when you lose a child, you also lose a certain version of yourself, maybe. And like you said, that's not yeah. necessarily a bad thing, but yeah. it is what it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's the process Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has laid out for you. That's what's going to take you closer to him. But there is a version of you, like you said, that, you know, and there's maybe there's a certain grief associated with that as well that also needs to be processed. Um, and I have to say, this couple that I'm, I'm referring to, this elderly couple, they really epitomize sabr when it comes to this. They are like the, mo- the people who have so much taqwa, they have so much sabr. I've never heard them complain or like you said, say anything displeasing to Allah regarding this. But 32 years on, you can still see the pain. And I think that's so important to say that you don't get to, no one gets to, or you shouldn't think you have an entitlement to police how someone grieves and how what their grief looks like and how long their grieving is going on for. As long as they're adhering to exactly that hadith that you said, it's none of your business. It's none of your business. You don't get to police that. You don't get to tell them what it should or shouldn't look like. On that note, though, there was an interesting question that came through. When should a grieving person seek help, seek assistance? especially if they're taking the emotion out on others. So we're talking about, I'm saying, don't police someone's grief. You don't get to tell them how long or, you know, when they should stop crying or how much they should cry. You don't get to tell them. But then when is the point when you, maybe you're genuinely concerned about this loved one who is grieving and you see them in a lot of pain, how do you know when you should step in and tell them, hey, seek assistance? Or how, if you are a grieving person, how do you know when you should go forward and seek help? Look, I asked my husband this question last night also, and we've decided that anybody who's lost a child needs therapy. Like, absolutely. It isn't even a question. Don't wait, because the longer you leave it, the worse it's going to become. This is coming from a man who never believed in therapy, right? Who was old school and conservative, like most of our husbands and older generation are. But he himself has seen the benefits of therapy. Uh, yeah, and if I just do everything and anything you need to do to get through this because you are going to need every source of help you can get. Mm. And everyone and it doesn't in my mean house not making it doesn't mean you're not strong. No. no, I think it's a reason why we can still function. It's a reason why I can still, still smile is because I have someone to talk to. And like I tell my teenager, like he also goes for therapy. And I said to him, when your leg is broken, you go to the doctor to get it fixed. Yusuf, our hearts are broken. We need to go to somebody to help our hearts get fixed again, or even just mend it a little bit. And yeah, everyone needs to go for therapy. <laughs> and if your therapist tells you you need medication, take the medication also. Do whatever you need to do. Alhamdulillah, we have our dean. It's the greatest blessing we have. But we also need to use other forms of yeah help that are out there, you know? 
And sometimes I think people want to do the spiritual bypassing where they'll say, okay, no, but I just talked to my Allah. And absolutely, we should all be talking to Allah all the time. That's a given. But you don't say yeah. to yourself, well, today I'm not eating anything for the day. I'm just going to talk to my Allah. And that's how my stomach is going to get full and my body's going to be nourished. You're still going to take steps to make sure you've eaten and you've taken care of your body like that. It's a similar kind of thing. It's a similar kind of thing that the two are not two different things. You know, seeking that assistance is not some different thing. On that note, someone might say, Shaista, Right. Well, nothing helps. You, if you tell a grieving person sometimes, like, please, I think you need to see someone. I think I can help you. And they'll say, well, nothing. I'm going to go there. What's the point? Right. I'm not going to bring this person back. It's not going to take the pain away. Why? There's no point in it. Give it a try. Like, I firmly believe there's a, there's maybe the therapist you've seen also, maybe you have tried and the therapist you saw didn't help, but that doesn't mean there's somebody, there isn't somebody out there for you. So try, look, the essence of the work is doing everything you can first and then leaving the outcome to Allah, what happens after, but you've got to try, you know? So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's oh, what it I does. Like. It definitely does. It definitely does. Why do you think grieving people create distance? And we mentioned this a little bit earlier as well. Um, I think some of it, I'm, I'm going to share some of what I, I picked up here. I think some of it is sometimes you're just protecting yourself. You know how much of you, that you're in a grieving state. And like you mentioned, sometimes people will come and visit and they'll say things. And afterwards, you just think, I feel so much worse than I did before they came. I don't need this to add to my load. So I think sometimes also people, if they're pulling away, and it might not be, if they're pulling away from you, it might not be you specifically that they need to pull away from, but they're just pulling away from everyone because it's just too much mental space to figure out who's, who can I be around? Who can I not be around? And also grief is one of those times you really, you want to be on your own and you want to, when I say on your own, you're with Allah and you're turning to Allah and someone might not necessarily want to connect with you all the time. And I think it's very important to give a grieving person that time and space also, you know, they have had to hear so many things that are insensitive and have only ha added to their hurt and pain. Um, again, I think it's very important what we said earlier, don't personalize it. It's not about you. When the time comes, when they are ready to reconnect with you, they will, and you don't get to police when that is. It might be a few weeks, months, years. It's entirely up to them. But if you want to earn a jar, if you want to earn a reward from Allah for providing comfort and solace, offer do things be there be there with no expectation of anything in return so do what you can without any expectation of anything in return because while a person is in this grieving space they are not really capable of a two-way relationship like that the emotional capacity is just not there that is not them being selfish this is what grief does to a person so be mindful of that understand even though they might want to have a two-way relationship with you right now, the capacity is just not there. Like you mentioned, if you had a broken limb, if this person broke their leg and you told them, come with me for 5K run, they're like, I literally can't. In a similar way, when someone is grieving, you're like, why won't you connect with me? They literally cannot. Respect that. And that in and of itself is you supporting them. By you not putting pressure on them, by you not judging them for that, you are supporting them. I agree with every single thing you've said, Zayda. I can't add more to that. Yeah. So you mentioned that you had two miscarriages as well. And I'm, I'm sorry to bring all this up, but I mean, we know why we're doing it. We know the purpose we're doing it. So you had two miscarriages before Umar and then the loss of Umar. All of these were losses, painful losses. You would have grieved all of them. 
what was different about your experience in terms of how other people related to you in with the miscarriages versus the loss of Umar? What can you share more with us? Because we have some very interesting questions on this. Look, I actually feel in some ways losing Umar was easier than losing uh, yeah, fetuses, basically, because my grief has been acknowledged and validated when it comes to Umar. When, when you have a miscarriage, I think people, people don't acknowledge the loss. They expect you to just keep going like normal. It can even be the clo people closest to you. I felt very, very lonely when I had my miscarriages. I even felt my husband didn't understand what I was going through. I understand that it's because you're the only one carrying this baby, but at the same time, I would have really appreciated if people, yeah, had just been there for me more, had spoken about it more instead of like avoiding the topic and just acknowledged my loss and validated my experience. And I want to share Hadith, which is like my favorite Hadith at the moment that brings consolation and covers child loss and miscarriages. And it says, when the day of judgment dawns, the Muslim children will emerge from Jannah with drinks in their hands and people will say to them, give us something to drink. And they will reply saying, our parents, our parents. So much so that the miscarried child will be seen clinging to the door of Jannah saying, I shall not enter until my parents enter. So just because it was a miscarriage doesn't mean it wasn't this huge loss. Why would there be a hadith referring to miscarried children and giving them the weight of a Muslim child passing away? You know, you mentioned something and I think what happens is people get awkward. Um, I, a few years ago, quite a few years ago, I experienced something, not, not the same kind of thing, but I experienced something very traumatic, um, okay. where I almost lost my life and it was really, really touch and go. And, uh, it was, it was, it was a very painful experience. And I remember going into an event, uh, not long after that, and no one asked me about it. No mm. one spoke about it. And I felt bad. I felt really bad. And looking back, they probably thought like, oh, we don't want to bring that up. We don't want to make her feel bad. You know? But it was right. so invalidating. It was so, so invalidating. It's like, I have been through this. You're not even asking me how I am. You're not even saying anything. And so, so tell me more about that because I think people sometimes when it comes to miscarriages, stillbirth, they get awkward. They don't know what to say. They're scared of actually triggering that person or triggering their grief. They don't want to bring more pain on you. What should they say? What should they do when someone has had a miscarriage? Because you said something really powerful. You said that because your grief and your loss was validated with Umar, it made it a bit easier to process. This is telling me the immense role that others play in your own healing journey when you're grieving. So what if, if, someone, if someone has never experienced that kind of loss, they don't know what to say. And people say okay. things like, I'll tell you a few things people say. People say things like, okay. never mind, you can have another child, or at least you have another child, you know, and mm. they think that they're being consoling when, again, it's coming across as it's very hurtful, it's very insensitive to say it. Some people want to know all the specifics, what happened mm. when. Some people even asked, uh, you know, people said on social media, people responded, they said that. When I lost my baby, people asked me, did you do something wrong to make it worse? Or did you contribute to it? I mean, these are not things we should be saying. Life and death is only in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa So to ask someone something like this is so painful and insensitive. So tell us what 
people should say and do when you hear of someone's miscarriage or stillbirth? I think take your cue from the person. I think that's the whole key. Some people are bad at and reading cues. Let me let me just say some people are bad at reading cues. So let's give them some guidance. Okay, acknowledge their loss. Firstly, just acknowledge their loss, right? Send them flowers. Send them a gift. Just whatever it is in your capacity, a plate of food, whatever it is, right? But just acknowledge that they've been through the loss and be there for them. Not in a way that intrudes on their time and space, but just like like just keep letting them know that you're there and that you're there to be like to support them in this journey. And you don't like we said before, you don't have to say anything you just have to be there like hug them hold them make the laugh for them but I think that's enough I think if and just validate their loss I think yeah just acknowledge you do something but there's an immense reward for this and yeah I don't know how else to <laughs> you know, something very important has popped up for me as you were saying this so something I just had a realization I just had a light bulb moment here which is that the kind of society that we live in, we live in a very driven, and I call it a masculine society. Masculine meaning like it's about do, 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 do. There's no time to pause. There's no, this is why we struggle with things like our salah and stuff, because it puts us back into that, that flow, you know, it's, it's pausing, it's reflecting. And we're in such a go, 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 go society that we measure ourselves on productive output. This is the world we live in. We measure ourselves on productive output. What did I get done today? How much did I do? What load? And that's, look, I'm not saying we shouldn't be productive. That's not what I'm, at all I'm saying, but I think we need to broaden our idea of what productivity is. So we don't see something like taking time to hold the space for someone or support someone through their pain as productivity, because there's no tangible output at the end of the day. Now, what I mean by mentioning all of this is that society as a whole views grieving people as unproductive on some level. And so it's almost like, snap out of it, come on, sort yourself out, it's too long, get back on the horse, sort it out. And there's almost this, this um, myth that if you are busy, and if you are producing yes. output, then you are okay. okay. <laughs> but for everyone who's listening to this podcast episode, how many times have you been super productive and the wheels are falling off and you are so not okay? So you can be busy and productive and be okay, but you can be busy and productive and be completely not okay. So sometimes people think they are helping you by saying, come, get back into it, get back on the horse, come, let's do this. And that's somehow just by doing and becoming a productive member of society or so-called productive member of society in the way that we see it, it's going to help you to be okay, but that's not necessarily true. So when you are there for someone who is grieving, it doesn't feel like you can get tangible output because when you send them a meal or you send them a text message, there's no tangible output. They don't, they might not respond or they might not respond in the way that you want them to. And you just think, oh, what was the point? When someone is grieving, the test on, from them, on, from Allah is massive, right? right? It's massive, the test that they have. But for us who is supporting a grieving person, the test on us is can we be there for them even when we are not getting the validation of tangible output. We need to redefine how we see productivity in our society. Just because someone is grieving and they're not productive in the traditional sense does not mean that they have no value at that time. 
They are not invaluable in that time. You have no idea what kind of process Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is putting them through for their dunya and their akhirah. Yeah, that just, that just hit me as you were talking is that we need to rede redefine how we see grief and how we see grieving people. It's not unproductive. It's probably the most productive thing you could do in terms of your own spiritual elevation. And also, don't you think that maybe they just need to be unproductive for a little bit so that in the long run, they can yes. be more productive? Absolutely. Now, yeah. they, it just, it's not going to work. Yes. It's not going to be able to sustain that productive. But if you take that time out now to deal with your emotions, mm -hmm. to process your grief, inshallah, I mean, I'm only six weeks into this, but inshallah, in the long run, it will be easier to be I mean, more productive. I mean, I but that shouldn't be a measure of a person. Yeah, it shouldn't okay. be major. Yeah. And it's a similar <laughs> what you're mentioning, it's a similar kind of thing. Like if your leg is broken and someone's telling you, never mind, just get back into it, start running, you'll feel better, your leg will feel better. And you're like, No, my you leg is getting more injured. What are you doing? You're doing more damage. Yeah. And sometimes it can be yeah. like that also for a grieving person. If you try and force them into your idea, yeah. your mold of where they should be at, you're actually causing them more harm and more damage. So again, the suburb that the support, you've got the grieving person and you've got the supporting members. The sabr of the supporting members is having sabr in terms of respecting the grieving person's process. I completely agree with that. Yeah. Wow. So, does a person ever heal from losing a child? This was a question that came through. Does one ever heal from losing a child? I think we have to define what healing means. What does healing mean? When you say healing, are you saying that you never think of the child, that you never feel pain, that you never miss them, that you never long for them? that you don't think about every, them every day of your life, that you don't count. You know, last night when we were with those family members, yeah. uh, like the mom said, she gave like the exact date and it was like at the tip of yeah. her tongue. She didn't yeah. even have to think about it. Yeah. So, yeah, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Look, if healing means peace and acceptance, I think that does come. You, you will get that peace and acceptance with time. I think I think acceptance is on a continuum, though. It's on a spectrum. Like, definitely, levels definitely. of acceptance. It's not just like a one and done. Yes. There's levels of acceptance that come through. Of course, and it fluctuates. You can have days when you accept everything and days where you don't. Look, it's, yeah. it's not a linear process. It's, mm. but, but I think that... Look, it's too fresh for me, I'll be honest with you. But from what I can see, I think you're going to just have to live with a broken heart for the rest what of your look life. Like? What does looking, what does living with a broken heart look like, Shaista? For those people who've never experienced that loss, what does that look like? For me, it, it, it means just being very much more um, empathetic to people who are suffering. Mm. That's, that's crying. Yeah, capacity for compassion and empathy. Yeah. I think so. I think I think so. In, in some ways, it's made me harder in terms of like my social interactions. I think it's given you stronger like, boundaries because I, I, it's just one of the things I really respect about you is you've got very, very good boundaries, mashallah. And I think that you develop that through having to deal with Umar's illnesses and having to get very, very, very clear on where you're putting your time and energy because you had limited time with this child. And so you became very, very clear about that. 
you know, I did it, but I won't lie to you. Uh, I grappled with feelings of guilt about it. And I still do to an extent because it's difficult. Like, like you said the other day in your, in your drama detox workshop, I feel like I'm very much a people pleaser also. Mm. And, and so even though I've set those boundaries, it, it's also, yeah, it makes me feel very guilty doing it because I'm not making everybody happy by setting mm. those boundaries. So, look, I think I'm, yeah, the thing that I'm, I, when me and Allah, alhamdulillah, we okay, you know, I've never felt closer to him, alhamdulillah. Uh, I feel like, yeah, Allah is the one who's been, who has got us this far and will continue to, like someone said, hold on to Allah until you can hold on to your kid again. Look, that's oh, me. That's beautiful. Yeah. Mm. But at the same time, I'm a work in progress, so I can't, yeah. I, I, I'm battling in other ways in terms of yeah my social interactions mm. I yeah so that's what a broken heart I think you need to join me for boundaries revolution <laughs> I think I do I think I do <laughs> well inshallah <laughs> I mean at least you are still putting in those boundaries despite the guilt you're still doing that which I think there's something to be said for that because that's safeguarding your mental health more than you know yes Yes. Uh, look, at the moment, I feel I need I need to be there for my son and my husband. And that's all the energy I have right now to keep together. And I can't, yeah, I can't use it on anything that's not important because those are the only two important things to me right now. It's my little house and my bubble and keeping them, yeah, keeping them okay. And yeah, so. Let me, let me tell you a few responses I get from people. Um, uh, specifically, if you've ever, the question I asked is if you've ever lost a child, miscarriages and stillbirths included what has been the hardest part for you so these are some of the responses I got and the one is um the feeling that I may not be able to be a parent again so this is for someone with you know they have another one yeah um someone said the comments that you can always have another baby it's Allah you know it's Allah's will and that might be true she's saying it might be true but it's not necessary to say that to a grieving person it's like there's there's no point to saying it um Someone else says, grieving never ends, even though people expect you to just get over it. I think this is a very important point that we keep circling back to. Grieving is, like you said, not linear. It's in layers. It's in levels. One minute you are, you seem to be fine. The next minute you're back in your grief. This is what grief is like. Uh, someone else says, miscarriage. People treat this as if there was never anything lost. It was it yes. is your loss and yours alone to carry. Someone else yeah. said, people were the biggest triggers. Uh, people yes. blaming you for it. And maybe you go, yeah. and I think some moms also struggle with self-blame. They also struggle with a lot of self-blame. I could have done this differently. I could have done that differently. Um, I was doing fertility treatment, had a miscarriage. My husband told me, let's keep it between us. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you know, giving the husband the benefit of the doubt maybe he just thought like we won't have to answer as many questions you know we won't have to have yes. poking their noses in all of that but for her it was painful maybe we can chat about that a little bit um my knowing that only you will remember them those miscarriages mm-hmm. those, those lost babies people consider mm-hmm. my daughter as my first right. child when my son that was my stillborn is my first child so in her eyes obviously like yeah, and people don't see that. They don't validate that. Again, probably because of their awkwardness, they don't want to remind you. They think they're reminding you of the pain. Meanwhile, what they're doing is invalidating. Um, ignorant people around me won't stop asking me when I'm having a baby after I had a miscarriage. 
Oh yeah. Uh, people <laughs> blaming me for it. Spouses grieve differently. Facing the due date. I think this was a big one for a lot of people. Facing the due mm-hmm. date when you had a miscarriage. He was a twin. I think of him every day when I look at his twin. So that's like a reminder. Subhanallah. Sure. May Allah make it easy for everyone who's in me. Being around family and they've merely forgotten your child as if that baby was nothing. Mm-hmm. Expect to attend family functions immediately after miscarriage while in physical pain. And that's where the boundaries come in. This is why boundaries are so mm-hmm. important. Right? Um, miscarriage, my husband not communicated that he felt the loss too. Yeah, men and women sometimes grieve very differently. And sometimes our partners think that the best way to support us is to show like a front of like strength, but it's, it's isolating. It can make you feel yeah. like you're the only one in it. Moving on with the dreams you had envisioned, the outfits they would have worn, you know, all oh. the milestones in life. I mean, if that's going, that's, that's just the reality of it, right? This is part of sabr. Sabr doesn't mean that you don't, you will, Shaista, right? Every single milestone, every single future event, you'll be like, if Umar was here, this. If Umar was here, he would be this age. If Umar was here, this is what he would have said. That's normal. Yeah. Uh, someone else said the hardest part was to deal with a partner who said it's just a marriage. Stop acting as if you, and then it cut off there, so I didn't get to see the rest. But obviously it was something that was hurtful to her at the time. Any thoughts on these, Shaista? Firstly, addressing the guilt, because I have, um, I think, yeah, I have dealt with it to some extent in other ways. And there's a hadith that's like really, really helped me. And I'll, I'll share it because I hope it helps somebody else out there. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, if something bad befalls you, don't say, had I only done such and such, then such and such would have happened. Rather say, this is from the Qadr of Allah, and he does whatever he wills. For saying if opens the door to the deeds of shaitan. And basically, it means don't give your, how do I say it right? Look, don't focus on the what ifs, rather focus on the what is, right? Mm. The what is can drive you crazy, yeah, right? Literally, it's, literally, yeah. So whenever, so whenever I, I ever felt like that, I would literally just like read a zikr and let it go, like vision this balloon and let the balloon. And that's where away. the internal work helps as well. That's where having someone to deal with because what happens is sometimes you can, when you're going down that path, you can also get almost get stuck on a loop, and speaking to a therapist or something like that can pull you off that and kind of help you to regroup and reframe and go in a different direction and not get stuck on that. And they can actually share some tools with you regarding that as well. Definitely. That's helped me immensely. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, losing, so that was like when I experienced some form of that when I had my miscarriages, but losing a child, look, I think the hardest thing for me is just missing his physical presence. You know they're in a better place. You know they're being taken of better than you ever could, but it's it's the smell of the child. And the you hug. miss them. You know they're okay, but you miss them, right? Yes, it's, it's like kissing his cheeks and hugging him and holding him and I don't know that that is the most difficult part and you have to you have to grieve you have to feel pain you have to feel sorrow for that because that is just huge Mm. the other thing that really I when you speak about triggers the thing that I find very difficult is to be around nine-year-old little boys right and I could understand that if someone lost a baby it would be when a baby uh, like when they hear the news of another baby being born right one thing that's helped me and someone said this to me at Umar's Mirat is that who here can guarantee that their child is in Jannah? 
right? And that has brought me so much comfort. Whenever I feel like, oh, Umar would have done this, or he would have gone for soccer now, or he could have become this, right? And all these dreams. And I keep telling myself that he's already attained the ultimate, ultimate level of success. He can't get better than what he's got already. <laughs> and it, it, it does make me feel better. Look, it's, it's the true definition of success is Jannah. And every one of these babies and kids is going to Jannah. That's Allah's promise, right? Allah has answered such a big dua for our children because we all make dua for Jannah for our children, but none of us is guaranteed that. And here we've been guaranteed that. And also, like, I think a huge part of it is to just reframe your perspective and say, Alhamdulillah for that. You know, yeah. if you can, it's like when Umar, um, Umar passed away 10 days before his 10th birthday, and I knew it was going to be a big thing for me. I knew I was going to battle on the day that he never got to 10. And then I sat there and I said to myself, but I have almost 10 years to be grateful for, almost 10 years of me memories. Look, and then I tried to list everything that I was grateful for. And I, I don't know if someone's seen it on an Instagram post, but I did the post because it kept me accountable. And also it, I keep referring to it when I feel weak. So it makes me strong again, because if I could be strong at that point, I can certainly get back there again. So if you just operate on this, uh, yeah, you operate that everything has done everything for us. It's not against us. Like just trust that there's goodness in what you've been through. You won't be able to see it now. It's very difficult to say, but one day you will make so much sugar for this loss. You will be so grateful for it. And in the meantime, just, yeah, try to be grateful for, because it has given us- But also um, know that your ability to be grateful is going right? to and wane. You know, there's some days yeah. where you'll be able yeah. to do that in that pace. You're not going to be able to do that 100% of the time. Some days no. or some no. moments, your grief will just swallow you completely and you will be back on the floor sobbing and, and, and that's just where you are at. And sometimes you'll be able to practice this. So it's not going to look the same. Exactly. When you can do this, do this. Grasp onto it, you know? Yes. And write it down. Journaling has helped for me because then you can go back to it and say, but I said this. Look, I said this. I must have felt like that. I felt like mm -hmm. that at some point. And also remember, you can grieve and be grateful at the same time. <laughs> yes. You can both. Yes. You can so, yeah. be grateful at the same time. I have to share with the listeners right now, as you're talking, I'm crying far more than Shaista. I, Shaista, I don't, haven't, can't see the tears from you, but I'm the one who's crying. And I have to ask, when you have people who, you know, they haven't experienced the same loss as you, but they, they, they moved to tears when they hear of your experience or when they meet you, does that make you feel worse when they're crying? Or does that, how does that make you feel? Uh, if they, I think the tears don't make me feel worse. In fact, they make me feel better that they loved my child to some extent as much as I did. Like they have that love for my child because why else would they be, yeah, tearing, right? But then when they say things that sometimes make me feel, feel yeah, that makes me feel worse sometimes because I feel like you don't know what I'm going through. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, don't say anything. You know what I love the most though is when people talk about him and 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 let me talk about him without mm. feeling sad and without like mm. trying to change the subject. Yeah. And when they share memories with him, I absolutely love it. I love speaking to people who have met him and who and sometimes they share things that I don't even know about him, which is just so precious for me right now. <sighs> yeah. You no, know, so. I think the biggest takeaway from this is when you are meeting someone who has lost uh, lost a loved one or lost a child 
hold your tongue and listen. Yes. Hold your yes. tongue. Say yes. less. Listen more to the grieving person. Listen. And like you said, yes. that's, how they'll give, that's how you'll take your cue from them. But you can only do that if you're out of your own head and you are listening and you are not making it about you. You are not there to prove anything. You are not there to show how awesome you are and how supportive you are. You are there to stay silent. It's not about you. Listen, observe, and you'll be fine. And that's exactly it. I know I sound cynical, but I've noticed, I've met people who I feel were literally there for the story, who came mm -hmm. to visit me for the details of Uma's death, or to just say, oh, I went to visit Chaista. Does that make sense? And I know I sound very cynical. Tick a right? box. Tick, tick a box, basically. Yeah, I did that today. So rather don't come. <laughs> it won't make any difference to no my life. You. There's no sin on you. It's not a photo to visit. You can make a dua from Allah and, you know, that might be more valuable sometimes as well. So, you know. Exactly. You can't, if you're not in the position where you can hold space the way we're talking about it, then make a dua. That's going to be far more valuable. Yes the grieving person yeah. wait till you get to that point and then visit them but don't do it yeah before that yeah I think we talk about this forever but last two questions the second last one yeah. is uh how do because I, I, I saw this theme coming through in the questions how does okay. a husband support his wife when she's had a miscarriage or stillbirth? what should he do what should he say what shouldn't he say Again, just validate what she's going through. Let her oh, talk how about would it. Do that. How would he validate what she's going through? Let her talk about it. I know a lot of men feel like if if you talk about it, it's it's setting you back, and it's making things worse. But then she might say, "But when she's talking about it and she's crying, and then it's all the emotions. She's going backwards." Crying is a good thing. <laughs> like I keep telling my son, also, it's allowing her to like release those emotions. Let her cry. Let her grieve in whichever form she needs to grieve because there's no right way to do this. And every feeling and emotion you have is valid. And grief is different. It could be different for your spouse and yourself. Just whatever brings a person peace and comfort, let them do it. Just talk about it. Acknowledge it. Yeah. Another thing they could just say is, I love you so much. How can I be here for you? Oh, yeah. Oh, How can I be here for I'm you? I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Yeah. Whatever you need, I'm here. Yeah. I'm here for you. I'm compensate everyone beyond measure for everything that they have lost. Shaista, mm -hmm. we started this conversation today. Before we started recording, I'd sit to you, Shaista. Here you are, smiling, mashallah. I... There's very few people I know who, is, who have exhibited the level of sabr that you have, the taqwa that you have. May Allah increase you. Um, when you get to up, please ask for me. Um, <laughs> and people might look at you and be so inspired, but at the same time feel like, how does she yeah. do it? Right? How does she do it? But what, you know, I'm seeing you smiling here. Even while I'm crying, you're smiling. You're, you're, you're talking about practicing gratitude and all of this. But that cannot be your reality every moment of the day. So what is a realistic expectation of what grief looks like over the course of a few weeks or months? Um, people might see you smiling and say, Shaisa is so strong and, you know, she doesn't cry and therefore she is very strong or she's smiling all the time and she's always seeing the good. But you cannot possibly be like this all the time. You cannot possibly be smiling and, and, and have like a positive feeling all the time. I, I feel like it's important to validate for people what their experience is because they can look at someone like you and go, oh my God, I'm doing it all wrong. I'm, I'm, I, I 
cannot be like how Shaista is. I'm obviously not exhibiting the level of sabr that Shaista is. I'm not getting the rewards Shaista is. I feel so, and, and that can only add to the already overwhelming pain. So tell us what grief realistically looks like. Honestly, you can't compare your grief to somebody else's. <laughs> and another thing is what you project on social media is always the best version of yourself. If people remember that, they will go a long way. So they see me on a good day. I don't post when I'm on a, the lowest, lowest, lowest level of my days because, yeah, I don't do it. Right? We all, we try to give the best version of what we are and try to help people when, we, when we're feeling good. So don't compare yourself to anybody else and know that I cry, <laughs> I cry so much. <laughs> and I, my way of, yeah. I, 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 we were talking yeah. about unproductive, not being productive in the traditional sense. Do you have days like that where you just feel like there's not a lot you can get done? Oh, definitely. Oh, I just zone out and do nothing. And, and the days where I'm super productive and the days where literally I do nothing and it's okay, just be gentle on yourself. Someone told me that and that has stood out for me. Be kind to yourself. Treat yourself like you treat the next person who is grieving, right? Step yeah. out of the box and say, be the person, person you wish other people yourself. would be to you. Yes, to yourself. So say yeah. it's okay because if somebody else was in bed because they lost their child, you wouldn't judge them. You'd be like, okay, this is what they need to do to get through the day. So do it to yourself also. Yeah, judge yourself. Um, yeah, talk to yourself in the same way you talk to somebody going through this. Mm. And that's helped me a lot too yeah and I cry and I know it sounds cliched but I get my strength from crying on the musala and crying when I did Quran okay let's look at a scenario right you mentioned being in bed lying in bed and not being able to get up and crying for your child and some well-meaning family member comes across and says come on Shaista right pull it together you can't do this this is not what Umar would have wanted for you come on okay get out of bed what, yeah. that, what do you say to that person? So if this happened to someone, what do they say to that person? It's such a challenge. Like I'd be thinking in my head, go away and you don't know what you're yeah. saying, right? But the same Leave me alone. Remember, yeah, what you can say, you know? And yeah, so... Uh, what could that person <laughs> say to themselves in that moment? So let's just say they can't say something to, to them. Person. Hmm? Don't listen to the person. They don't know what they're talking about. Just ignore They mean them. well, but, but it's ignorant. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, they don't know what they're talking about. And literally, I, I only, I get a lot of strength from mothers who have been through the same experience. So that's what I also wanted to tell people who've been through miscarriages is, I think to an extent, men don't understand what we're going through. And but what, but people who have been through it, they understand exactly what you're going through. So find those support groups for other mothers who've experienced miscarriages or still, still births or have lost a child because. They know what you're going through and what they and what they say means more to you because they've been through it. So even if your therapist sometimes tells you something, you're like, yeah, but you didn't lose your child, right? <laughs> yeah, so you're telling me this, but uh, you haven't been through it yourself, right? But mm -hmm. somebody who's been through it, but, yeah, whatever they say, like carries a lot more weight. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I mean, Alhamdulillah, we got through a lot today. I think we got through all of the questions pretty much. Alhamdulillah. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest takeaway is grieving is a process. It's a very personal process. It looks different for every single person. Give yourself the space for it. Um, grieving looks different on different days. Just because you're smiling and you're crying the next moment doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. That is a normal part of it. Um, healing, you know, when someone asks, like, do you ever heal? Depends on your 
definition of healing, right? And acceptance might happen in stages. Acceptance might have in layers. And some days your acceptance might level might be higher and others lower. It doesn't mean you're going backwards. This is just the experience of being insan, the experience of being human. Um, and for those who are supporting others who are grieving, it's not about you. Talk less, yeah. listen more, observe more, take their cues, offer, and know that your reward is with Allah. Let go mm-hmm. of the need for them, for the grieving person, validating your efforts. Um, mm-hmm. You're not going to get that tangible, tangible feeling of, oh, I did something good. Know that that's mm-hmm. what is with Allah. And the test of the grieving person is their loss. And your test is how will you be there for them? How will you support them without making it about yourself as well? Can you leave us with your parting words, Shaista? What would you like everyone to know? Look, I, I'd like try to navigate your grief through the Quran and Sunnah. I find that's the thing that's helped me the most. Mm. And like I said, Alhamdulillah for Islam, it's the greatest blessing we have. And if you use it to navigate your grief, Allah will make it so much easier. Like, um, the, you know the words, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un, which are in the Quran, right? To Allah we belong and to, to, to him we return, right? I actually heard from an alim that even though it's a dua to be recited at the time of calamity, if somebody's going through a loss like this, it should actually become their zikr, right? Mm. And to continuously recite it, right? Because when, whenever you remember the loss and you feel sadness, read it. Because I, I've seen like it gives you strength, it gives you a heart like this peace and contentment, and it also wards off those whispers of shaitan that like tend to overwhelm you sometimes. And there's even a hadith where Nabi said that whoever has been afflicted with the calamity and he remembers the calamity and he renews the istirja, which is the words, even though it's been a while, even if it's been 40 years later, Allah grants him the reward of his calamity as the day he was afflicted. So, so you know you're banking that reward. And even in the Quran, Allah says that if you give glad tidings to the patient who, when the calamity comes to them, say, indeed, we belong to Allah and to him is our return, because it is they upon whom they are blessings from their Lord and mercy, and they're rightly guided. So it's never too late. Even if you didn't say it at the time of your loss, it's okay. Allah is ready. Allah is here all the time. Say it now. Say it every time you feel that sadness. And you'll see Allah will just make it easy for you. <laughs> Amen. Amen. May he make it easy for everyone and compensate them. Also, because, you know, you mentioned mentioning that, you know, really use the Quran and Sunnah to navigate this. At the same time as well, mm-hmm. use this as an opportunity to update mm-hmm. your understanding of these things because people will be projecting yes. a lot of convoluted stuff about what sabr looks like and what grieving should and shouldn't look like and the Islamic principles of it. Like a lot of, yes. a, we clearly, from the comments people have received, we know that yes. some people have a very, very con convoluted understanding of it because that's what they were taught that's that's the understanding that they have and it's not necessarily correct it's not necessarily in line with quran and sunnah so if if this is happening and and you are saying you know you're you're looking at this and and you're not getting that solace maybe it's time to actually update your understanding at some point of what what is the ajar of someone like what is like from an islamic perspective what is truly the perspective of this, you know, because Islam takes, Allah SWT takes into consideration our humanity. He does not expect us to be robots. He takes our humanity into consideration. And as you start to explore the Quran and Sunnah, you will realize how supportive it is of a healthy grieving process. Yes. 
That's exactly it. And also another thing that I've had to learn is to separate Islam from cultural expectations. Mm, oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> that would be a whole new topic for another day. But I had to consult uh, like learned people to, to, to because we have such a warped idea of what we expected to do. And we think it's being to do it, but it's completely cultural. I don't know. I don't think we should go into today, but yeah, that is a whole topic on its own. Inshallah, maybe we'll get there one day. I go, I go into it in my in my programs, relationship revolution, boundaries evolution. Uh, go, I actually brought a scholar in specifically for that. Yeah, good. So much of misunderstanding and and culture gets mixed up there. Um, but yeah, it's a whole topic on its own. Yeah, but this, yeah, but no. this relates to it. How people police grief and all of that it relates to it. It's a cultural policing uh, of grief. It's not. It's not an Islamic one. So yeah, just just find out, like seek knowledge. There's no excuse in this day and age to be ignorant. Look, <laughs> this gaps. Alhamdulillah, we have access to all forms of knowledge, and and that's helped me is is knowing where my child is and knowing the reward for losing a child, mm-hmm. and it's all there. And those two things have given me the strength uh, to to carry on. I mean, there's a hadith that says the good fortune of a person who has lost a child is that he can have conviction a part of his flesh in Jan- is in Jannah. Oh my, I mean, that's so can you-, <laughs> you know, so there's so much out there uh, in our beautiful dean that can help you. It's there. You just have to access it. Yeah, find it. Lisa, <laughs> I can't thank you enough. I can't thank you enough. It's six weeks post Umar's parting and you made the time to be here. And I know your intention and may Allah reward your intention and make it manifest. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I appreciate you more than you know. I know everyone who is listening to this podcast is making dua for you, is remembering you. If you are listening to this podcast episode today and you're still at this point and you've listened to the whole thing, then please read two, three calls for Umar. For Umar. Yes. Make a dua for Shaista. Make a dua for me also. I'm just gonna throw myself yes. in too. Um, but yeah, may Allah, like I said, when you when when you are in Jannah, ask for me. Really, Shaista, it's been it's such a blessing to know you and to have you share with us today. Um, you know, may Allah compensate you just in the most amazing ways in the dunya and the akhirah. So um, I just pray it's a benefit to people and please forgive me if I said anything out of turn or incorrect because I just really wanted to bring solace to people's hearts and also may this work be a means of elevating Umar status also Ameen. in general so we can all join him there inshallah. I mean maybe may we all know him in Jannah as we did in, in this world. Um, thank you Shaista. Um, um, thank you to everyone who is listening and yeah till next time stay inspired. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.